as many of you have read these podcasts, listened to these podcasts, uh, many of you uh, have been with me in various adventures, and either, either have been or perhaps will be involved in a disaster relief or refugee camps or maybe humanitarian aid of some type. I feel it's important uh, to share with you uh, sort of a debriefing and compression uh, that I use every time I return. Right now I'm working with a number of uh, of men and women who are uh, victims of PTSD from being in military service. One is a sniper who uh, regrets ever pulling the trigger. Uh, And uh, uh, it's just been amazing what what we've done in training our, our people to be warriors, but we don't train them to come home. Well, I've been in situations where there's been you know, lots of death, stacked bodies, wrecks, wreckage, terrible things have happened. And uh, I have a way that God has given me of decompressing, so to speak, or a debriefing, I guess you'd call it, that relieves the pressure. Because I've been doing this since 1967. And uh, that's, a, that's a long time, over 55 years. And uh, the day of my first return home after an event is a day of loving, laughing, and rejoicing with my family. I missed them so much. When I come through the door for the first time after an event, the kids know, do not get between dad and mom, or you might get hurt. (laughs) After we've kissed and hugged and loved on each other, we then it's time to hug and hug and kiss the kids. It's uh, it's the kids' time. Well, the second day of my back home is a day of family business. I pay the bills. I write business letters. I do my travel accounts. I catch up on the needs of the farm we live on. I I make a do list of what I need to do. And I close that day, that second day, with a feast at my favorite restaurant. I have it with usually with family and friends because they want to hear the story and that's the time I share it with them. The third day is a heartbreak, is a heartbreak day. A day of weeping and fasting and prayer. I open my journal and begin to lay before the Lord everything I had noted, what I had done and what I could not do, where I could help and where I could not help. I unload everything on Him. You see, I'm fully aware that He's God and I'm not. And I can only do what He assigns me to do with what I, what He gives me uh, as to supply uh, my needs as I do it. It's all in His hands. And so the results are His. But my heartbreak is, of course, the people I've been with, I love them. I just love folks. And, and uh their needs are so great and so tragic in so many ways, but I can't, I can't change the situation. I can listen. I've discovered in tragic circumstances, just being there with them. The ministry of presence is awesome. You know, when someone has a, a fatality in their family and you go to visit them, there's nothing you can say that will take away their grief. 
but your being there is such a help. I call it the ministry of presence, the ministry of just being there. Well, that third day is heartbreak. I unload everything on the Lord. And when I close my journal, I become aware of how warm His embrace is when I'm weeping on His chest. What a God. What a Father. Well, the fourth day, <laughs> the day of laughter, everything is humorous. Laughter rings through my home. I'm conscious of His joy and approval of my work. It's a day filled with fun and happiness. I observe the spiritual <laughs> discipline of celebration. Oh, my wife, Dr. L, and I have been involved in disaster relief and humanitarian aid projects since 1967. Over all these years of activity, it's been heartbreak we've been walking in, but our lives are still filled with the joy of the Lord and a powerful love for each other. Uh, it's been amazing. I was 19 years old and praying for a wife because I was pastoring two half-time churches and um, and I was a, a pastor, interim pastor at Black Church on, on Friday night, every Friday night. And uh, <laughs> I just, I needed a wife to help me. And so I was praying for, for when I even gave God dimensions, I knew what I wanted. Well, there was a, a woman who had been an out, a, a soprano and a ballerina with the opera in St. Louis, who had come to Texas to run a dancing school and uh, train the Las Senoritas at Odessa College. She was Miss uh, <laughs> she was Miss West Texas that year and Miss Talent in the Miss Texas contest. And she came to my college where I was to train the majorettes and to uh, run the dancing school. And uh, I did not know that she was struggling under the call that God had given her to be a preacher's wife. And I, <laughs> I was, I'd, I'd been brought up in the woods and swamps of East Texas and, and Louisiana, trapping mink and muskrat, and, and uh, uh, just you know living in the outdoors. And uh, but I was praying. And she was praying, and God had a mutual friend that introduced us to each other. The moment uh, I saw her, I really was not that impressed. She had Vaseline on her face or some kind of ointment because she had singed her eyebrows and eyelashes and her bangs off with the uh, fire baton, which got too close. She, she was the, the, also the exhibitionist twirler for the halftime activities. Uh, I'd been on football scholarship, but this year my injury kept me out, so I, I didn't get to see any of that. And she was twirling, twirling two fire batons and tossing them while playing with the orchestra, the bass drum with her tap shoes standing on it. Well, anyway, <laughs> when I was introduced to her, uh, we, we visited and uh, she sprained an ankle the next day. And being an ex-football player and knowing about ankles, I taped it for a couple of weeks. Well, anyway, we had we started dating uh, and it was just uh, uh, it almost was platonic we 
<clears throat> we uh, walked across the school, uh, the campus there at Stephen F. Austin State University one morning, and she said, ooh, it's chilly. I helped her down with her ankle wrapped to help her get across, skip to her class. And I said, well, yeah, it is chilly. I'll tell you what, why don't you put my, my letter jacket on? I've got several of them, and it's nice and warm. It, it, she put it on and said, ooh, this feels so warm. I said, just keep it and wear it you know, while you're here because you're from Illinois and St. Louis, uh, Missouri. And uh, people will think you're a campus patriot if you wear a letter jacket. <clears throat> she didn't know that that was a signal to everybody else. John's girl, leave her alone. It could cost you your life if you mess with her. You see, I've been boxing and wrestling and <laughs> lifting weights uh, for my football uh, work and that sort of thing. And, and uh, anyway, when uh, one night, every, every date we had wound up in a prayer meeting or a Bible study. The Lord told me, told me literally, Lanou, she's mine. Keep your hands off of her. Well, I'm a Cajun. My little hey, romance is great, you know. I'd like, like to kind of get things warmed up. He said, no. I discovered later that what God was doing was keeping the field clear so I could sense his will and not just my desires. Well, uh, after three weeks, she uh, made a good commitment one night at church. When I took her back to the dorm, I had prayed as she went down the aisle, Lord, is this the one? And I got a divine, mm-hmm. Oh boy, how do I ask her? Well, we got to her dormitory and I said, Kaywin, I've been praying about this and I really feel like God wants you to be my wife. And she said, my commitment tonight, John, was to be uh, spend my life as a preacher's wife in ministry and I feel the same way but please remember I'm human you must put Jesus first because if I fail you you I don't want you to be crushed always depend on Jesus well folks I slid across the seats of that old car that night and kissed her for the first time wow Whew, man I tell you uh, I asked her to marry me. I had known her three weeks. And God put our lives together in such a way that when she went to be with Jesus 66 years later, it had been a marvelous ministry and life together that I could only describe as God created, God blessed, God ordered. Folks, just walk with Him. That's the most important thing you could do. Well, uh, I tell you, uh, it's uh, I was on that fourth day. I just had to say we're we're just involved in disaster relief, humanitarian aid projects for so long and over the, all these years, but we're still filled with the joy of the Lord and a powerful love for each other. She was paralyzed the last year and a half of her life, and I had the opportunity to sit beside her. Uh, feed her bite by bite, give her things to drink, uh, to move her every two hours so she wouldn't get bed sores, uh, to uh, do the hygiene and stuff for her. 
You see, God gave me a year and a half to show her how much I really loved her. Wow, what a privilege. Well, I tell you what, when you put your burdens on the Lord, uh, He takes away the stress. And your love for Him is so powerful that it gives you joy even in the midst of your sadness. I knew that when I prayed for her to be released from that body of clay in which she was trapped, for God to set my ballerina free, I knew the moment her suffering ended, <laughs> mine would start. And uh, it's been fantastic as God had led in these days. And still, oh, whatever days God has given me, it's not time to sit back and relax. Folks, it's time to get with it. At 87 years old, man, uh, I'm down to the short count on, on days. So I'm praying God make every one of them count, every one of them. You see, as I've said before, I don't want to just creep up to the grave and fall in it. I want to skid up to it with my fenders flapping, radiator steaming, engine smoking, yell, yeah, jump in, yell, whoopee, what a ride. I mean, after all, folks, we're going to get to see Jesus. Let's get everything done for him that we can. That's the most important thing. Oh, God bless you for putting up with this kind of rhetoric. Uh, but it's just what I have on my heart. God bless you.